We're continuing our series, Parables in the Bible. I do truly hope that you're enjoying this as much as we have enjoyed doing this series because remember, a parable is a story that has, you know, it makes sense earthly, but it has a spiritual meaning. And that's what we're after as we look at these parables that are presented in the scripture. And how does that make sense or how does that apply to my life today? And that's the things we're working on. And so this one is really kind of interesting because it's just going to a party. How many of you ever been invited to a party? Well, maybe the others will get invited before you die. I don't know. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) Be terrible, you know. And the, the object of this particular parable is this. Look at what it says. It happened that when he went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread, he was invited, right? You don't go to the Pharisees' homes without being invited. So he's been invited to one of the Pharisees, and they did it on a Sabbath. Now, we know that Sabbath was at that time on Saturday. And so here they are, and they're at the party. And the reason I ask you if you'd ever been invited to a party, here's my question. When you were, those who did get invited, when you were invited, how were you treated? Look what it says. They watched him closely. They, were, they invited him. He would not be in their home had he not been invited. And they're watching him closely. So you're invited to a party and you go to the party and the people there do what? They watch you closely. What does that mean? They were looking for something to accuse him of. And they planted As we've gone through the scripture, and you've read the scripture, I know yourself, they planted somebody there at the party because the Pharisees wouldn't touch certain things. And one thing they wouldn't touch was somebody who was sick. And there's a guy who's there at the party, and it says he's right in front of him, and he's suffering from dropsy. How many of you ever had dropsy? How many know what it is? I have three people that know what dropsy is. That's pretty cool. It's, it's just the fact that your body builds up fluid and can't get rid of it. So you look like a, you know, a Michelin tire man or something. It's not funny. I'm not making fun of it. I'm just saying that gives you an image. The fluid builds up on your skin. You get real puffy. And one of the names, there's several names for the same thing, but it's dropsy. So here he is. This is all a setup. Notice how we do these parables, how we walk through the New Testament, especially Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of course, with Jesus, and how they're always setting something up, always trying to do something to get him. They want to be able to accuse him of something. Look what Jesus does. He turns to the Pharisees, to the lawyers, and says, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now, why is he asking them? Because they're the experts on the law. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? In other words, here's a man in our presence who is obviously ill. He certainly could be healed, should be healed. Is it lawful? 
the response was crickets. Why? Because it's a setup. It's a trap. They just stay silent. You got to appreciate Jesus. He just took hold of him, healed him, and sent him away. Is that not sweet? He knew it was a trap. He knew it was going to be an accusation. But this man's health and healing was more important than what they would say about him or do to him. It would be wonderful if we would have that same approach to life. So he said to them, which one of you will have a son or even an ox that falls into the well and will will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And again, no reply. It's still crickets. So if they're going to be really conscientious and observant of the law and the son falls in the well, what does father do? Tread water, son. I'll be back tomorrow. Of course not. That's not going to happen. You're going to do everything you can to save your son. And because the ox was so important in the family farm and, and the, uh, excuse me, the economics of the family, they're going to pull the ox out too. They're not going to not save the son or save the ox. And even with that, they still say nothing. So now he says, well, let me give you guys a parable. You're invited as guest. Excuse me. And he began speaking a parable, invited guests when he noticed how they had been picking out their places of honor at the table. And so he says to them, back to the party. You're invited to the party. And you, because you're invited, you think you are what? Somebody. And so you come prancing in. You go right to the head of the table. And you have yourself a seat. Place of honor. But then somebody more distinguished, someone more important than you, comes that they have also invited And you're booted from the seat of honor and moved to the seat of shame. What's the point of what Jesus is doing here? He's trying to help us understand how dangerous pride is in our lives and the fact that Pride is so subtle. It's so subtle. We all deal with it on some level. It's like this. I think the ladies did this on the women's retreat. In the conversation that you are having, you're putting the light on you. Look at me. Look at what I've done. Look how great I am. If you don't know it, I'll tell you. Give me about three hours. I'll get her done. But instead, what we're supposed to be doing is putting our light on him. Is that not right? That's, that's the way it's supposed to work. 
But, oh, there's another side to the pride thing because most of us think, oh, that's just arrogance and boasting. Oh, no, no, there's another way for us to get, look at me, poor me. I've been abused. And I'm not making light of abuse or hurt. That's not my point. But we have a way of drawing attention to ourselves, which is all rooted in pride. So whether you're the one that's boasting and arrogant, or you're the one who's whining and crying about how bad things are, our light is supposed to be on him. So shall we pause? Ask the question. Where's your light shining? Is it shining on you? Is it shining on him? And see, there's another difficulty with pride. Because the scripture says, when we are doing the things that are honoring and pleasing to God, when we're examining ourselves, this is in Galatians uh, chapter 6, verse 4, verse 4, when we're examining ourselves in the work that we're doing before God, and we're doing it for the absolute right reason, Paul says, I'm proud of you. It's so complicated, doesn't it? In another place in uh, 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 7, 4, it says that when someone you know does something, he's bragging on the Corinthians. But it's because they've done what? Because they have perfectly honored God and they're living in fear of him. In other words, please get this. Nothing else has gotten today. Get this. It ain't all about you, okay? Now, we make it that way. If you listen to the lyrics of the songs that we just sung, they were all about us humbling ourselves before him and realizing that we are desperately in need of him. And in this pride thing, a friend of mine described it like this. He said, pride is kind of like a bowling alley. On one side, you have one gutter, and that's the one where you're arrogant and all this stuff. And on the other side, the false humility. Example, last Sunday, this happened. And the person who said this, you're my friend. I'm using this as an illustration, so bear with me, okay? Somebody came to me after the service and said, you're the greatest preacher I've ever heard. Now, I know he was right. <laughs> because he's only heard one. I'm just kidding, Okay. <laughs> If somebody gives you a compliment, you accept the compliment. You don't fall into the ditch of false humility. Oh, well, you know, listen, here's the thing that I know without any exception whatsoever. It doesn't matter what level you put it on. I know, as Paul said, and you've heard me say this, 1 Corinthians 15, 10, I am what I am by the grace of God, and his grace in me did not prove vain. That's what I know about Steve Bishop. Because I know who I am, I know where I came from, I know what God has done, and I am extremely grateful that he is continuing that work. It's not done. It will not be done until that moment, that instant, that Jesus Christ receives me back to him. It will be at my death, physically, or his coming, doesn't matter. I am what I am by the grace of God, and I do what I do by the grace of God. There is no other explanation, period. It's that simple. So now here's the other dilemma of doing a message like this.
Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, that's God's formula. But you know what the problem is? We don't believe we're guilty. Are you kidding me? Pride? Me? Huh? We all are. We all are. Some level, we are. And so the first thing that we're going to do as we move now to the rest of the message is this. Please bear with me. Would you at least for the moment consider that you have a problem with pride? Just consider that you have a problem with pride. Let's just start there. Well, when we go at it from the biblical perspective, I've already given you the positive, but the negative is really, really gnarly. I'm trying to remember what scripture I put up here. Yeah, this is a good one. <clears throat> Proverbs 16, 5. Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Assuredly, he will not be unpunished. Man, wait a minute. What are we talking about here? God, the God of love, the Father who loves us, who gave his son for us. <clears throat> but there's something about our heart being prideful that just he's not going to have. He's not going to tolerate. It's really that simple. So again, can we at least consider the possibility that we're guilty of this? Because remember, it said that he will humble those who are prideful and he will exalt those who are humble. Well, there's more. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit. What's that mean? That means... These beautiful, this beautiful couple that just got baptized, that I would somehow look at them and think I'm better than they are. Ain't going to happen because it's not true. We as God's children, in the beauty of his creation, are so loved by him that he is not looking at us and Ways are different. He loves us, but he will not put up with our junk. Then he went on to say to the one who invited him, remember, we're back at the party now. And he goes on in his speech, as it were, to the one who invited him. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do you invite your friends? Are your brothers, are your relatives, are the rich, are your neighbors? Otherwise, they may also invite you in return, and that will be your repayment. What he's saying is, how is it that we do life in our world today? Now, because we can tend to be so prideful, and, and I'm not saying we all sit out to be that way. And, and by the way, just so you know, the worst pride is spiritual pride. You know how I know that? 
because I've been there, done that. Well, look what I've learned. I, let me give you an illustration. Years ago, I was going to a meeting up in North Carolina. Had another pastor that we were going together. We had to leave very early because it was an early meeting. And so I had to get up early to have my devotional time, which is my normal practice. Then I made a mistake. I didn't mean to, but I did. We're in the car. We're driving to the meeting. And he's talking about how early he had to get up. And I said, in response, yeah, I said, me too. I had to get up because I want to make sure I have my devotional time. So I got up at this and this time. (laughs) Sounded so innocent. It really did. And I think it was meant to be. I really do. But we get to the meeting. And this guy, for whatever reason, took it on himself to tell everybody how early I got up so I could have my devotion. And this is pastor's meeting, so you think it would be fairly normal, but apparently it wasn't. And so before the meeting is over, I'm kind of the rock star. You know, everybody's got, man, Steve, you really, yeah, yeah, you know, oh, yeah, I've been doing it for years, you know. I got to tell you, that ride home was the most humiliating ride because God, the Holy Spirit, was just hammering on me. Who the heck do you think you are? Where is it you get off? Because, yeah, you got up a few minutes early and you read some scripture and you had a prayer that now somehow you're special. Really? It happens. It can happen to all of us. I love this quote from J. Vernon McGee. If you've never heard or read J. Vernon McGee, you need to look him up, read, hear. Amazing, wonderful Bible scholar. Here's a quote from J. Vernon McGee. This is God's universe, and in his universe, he does things his way. You may think you have a better way. The problem is you don't have a universe. We're so desperate to show off, to prove ourselves. As these men were, the Pharisees. And remember the question Jesus asked, is it lawful? Now, why did he ask that? Because what these guys had been doing now for generations, when Jesus came on the scene, was they were adding to the scripture. And then that's why at a party where he was invited, where someone was sick, that according to their understanding of the law and their application, as far as others were concerned, that he should not be healed on the Sabbath day because they were so prideful. They thought that they could add to and manipulate the word of God. Rascals. Really? What audacity? Really? So he asked him, is it lawful? And we would say here today, and look at those guys. Like, are you kidding me? Where do you get off that you think you have the audacity, the intelligence, or whatever's required to somehow change God's word and add to it? And the sad thing was, and we've seen it sadly over the last years politically and economically and 
our world, it's rules for thee and not for me. And that's what this was. That's why they were looking with accusing, judgmental eyes. But you might say, but we would never have that audacity. I don't think I've offended you guys in a while, have I? Let me see if I can do that, if I can make up for that today. For example, in Ephesians 5.25, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. And the man's response is, oh, but you don't understand. My wife was created after that was written. Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit yourself to your husband. Are you kidding me? Scratch his eyes out. And we don't manipulate scripture. We don't think somehow we're so arrogant. We're so whatever. What, What about Matthew 18? This one. And this one keeps coming, keeps coming, keeps coming. Matthew 18. Forgive. Seven times 70. Hold it. I'm the exception. My hurt is deeper than anybody else's hurt. No, it's not. It's never deeper than the hurt of Christ. How about this one? Matthew 19. The only reason you divorce is because of infidelity. Oh, you don't understand. We just don't love each other anymore. So therefore, we are now able to divorce. How about this one? Hebrews 13, 4. The marriage bed is to be pure and undefiled. In case you hadn't noticed, the verses that I'm giving you are smacking against the culture of our day. And if that's not enough, Romans chapter 1. Men will defile themselves with men and women with women. There is such a desperate, desperate need for God to work in our lives so that we will humbly bring our whole life before him and how we do life and how we make our decisions And we do it based upon the fact that we believe that his word is true and that his word is to be applied to our lives. And I'm sorry if you're in the room and you have somehow thought you were the exception, you're not. And neither am I. Because here's what you need to know. There's a day coming when you will stand and you will give an account. It's real simple. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, let me tell you this. 
you will stand before the great white throne of God and be judged as a sinner bound for hell. If you're here as a believer, you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be judged for how you have used the life that God's given you, how it's been spent, the time, the money, the energy, the effort, and what has been the motive and the attitude behind it. You say, that doesn't even seem right. And you would be right except for this fact. The Holy Spirit of God (laughs) on the day of Pentecost came because Jesus promised there's another one coming, like unto me. And he said, it's actually better. He talks to his disciples. He says, it's better for you that I go so he can come. Why? Because I'm with you externally and he will be, he will be with you internally. That's why when you go to do some things that are not pleasing to God and you just kind of get that little nudge, that'd be the Holy Spirit. Because our Father God loves us so desperately. Oh, he does, he does, he does. So that our lives can be changed in such a way that we can then begin to look at Scripture like this as Jesus relates to the dinner. What is he? Host. It says, when you throw a party, why do you only throw a party for those who can repay you? But instead, why not do this? Why not invite the poor? Invite the cripple, invite the lame, invite the, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Wow. You guys know Oswald Chambers, one of my favorite writers. He very candidly says that we are never to give in to circumstances, but we are to learn and grow from any circumstance that we encounter because God is always about building our character. But he gives greater grace because he's opposed to the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. How do, I, how do I do that? How do I quit being the one who is so prideful and so arrogant or so needy and shining the light on me, 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 me? Do you get tired of me, 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 me in our world today, especially when it's you that's doing it? Instead, we're shining our light on him. Shining our light on him. This is my Christ. This is my Savior. This is my Lord. This is the one who gave his life for me to have life abundantly and eternally. This is my, this is the life that I now have in him. And how do I live that? Is that, that mean I've got to be one? No, don't be like me. Don't even, you know, the the thing about um, being involved in ministry is if, and, and we've watched this, Sheila and I, through the years, as people get involved in ministry and they try to move themselves to some position that they shouldn't be in, and, and we just ha- we watch how God removes them. We've watched it way too many times, sadly. Because it's about living the life that God created you to live. Whatever he chose for you, that's the life. To be lived by you 
So that on that day, on that day, when every one of us stand before Jesus Christ and we give an account for our life, whatever he has chosen for us to live, he will look at us and say, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. That verse in James 4, 6 has been such a blessing for me, but also a a testing for me. Lord, I never want to be one that you oppose. I always want to be one who receives the grace, the grace being that enabling power. So when you have a reception, when somebody comes into this church family for any event, whatever it is, how are they treated? Last Sunday evening, we had our Thanksgiving meal. It was really good. We had guys from the Turning Point came. We invite them every year. John Williams is the director of Turning Point. It's a drug rehab for men here in Chester. Put you on the spot. How many made an effort to welcome them? And thank them for coming. It was so funny. Yesterday in a casual event, I ran into one of those guys. And he didn't recognize me, but I recognized him. And he said, how was your Thanksgiving? I said, it was great. How was yours? He said, it was good. I said, did you enjoy the turkey? He goes, oh, you're from the church, aren't you? There are so many things that God has us do, wants us to do to let this community know that, yes, we love him first. And then we love others as we love ourselves. And I'm telling you, as I'm standing up or looking at this body of people, I am extremely blessed to know the work that is done through so many lives of people who are here who have helped people in amazing ways They don't get up here and tout it. They just do it. Sometimes it's through the funding of something. Sometimes it's through actual physical help. I actually could start calling names and have people come and we could not brag on them in the sense of who they are, but what they are doing in the things of God. Because we have that in this church family. But guess what? We're not all there yet. Let's get there. Let's see what's holding us up. Is it my hobby? Is it my greed? Is it my selfishness? What's keeping me from being what God designed, desired, and created me for? As I live this life, whatever days I have left, and we don't know. And that's that's not the fear thing. That's not the point. I want my last days to be better than my first days. I would hope and pray that you would as well. Let's stand together. Lord Jesus, when you came among the men and the people you created, 
you said, I came to serve and not be served. I would ask now in the name, your name, precious Jesus, through the one whose blood was shed for our sin, that this body of people would be the people that are known for our service to you as our King Jesus and to others because we are so committed and surrendered to allowing you, Holy Spirit, to lead and guide and help and show us the way. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Father. Whatever has to be done in our lives to get our attention and our focus and our light off of us and onto you, and then because of you, onto others that you would direct us to. We give you praise for all that you've done, all you're going to do. In Jesus' name, your precious, precious name, we praise you and thank you. Amen.